All right. So last week we talked about our first Christianese word that we felt like we have to talk about, which was God. That doesn't seem like a very Christianese word, but it is because a God can be anything uh, in a lot of different religions, and you can have more than one God, and you can have all sorts of different understandings of who God is. Uh, so we here's our first couple uh, just recap definition. Uh, when a monotheistic religion uses it as a proper singular noun, it's the supreme spiritual being who created the world, establishes the moral standards for human and re- humans, and receives worship by humans. I went ahead, and this is this next one is not what we did uh, last week because I didn't want to tell you that this is the correct answer. I'm going to tell you what my answer is. Okay, and I'm sure that this can continue to be refined because it's one of those situations where you're, you know, you're put on the spot and say, what do you mean when you say God? Duh, right? So this is my first attempt at the eh, okay? So uh, when I say God, I'm referring to the deity as described in solely the Bible, okay? Nowhere else. The Bible starts by presenting this deity as the creator and supreme ruler of everything, and this deity provides the moral standards for all created things and deserves respect from all all in creation as well. God is persistently involved with the direction of his creation and intervenes as he so chooses. Yep. So yep, you can fire me. Um, my Christian school education grammar would be all over me for capitalizing the wrong words here. Um, I have looked that up, uh, beginning in Bible college, um, pronouns referring to God. Um, you have to be consistent, but it was definitely one of those where it's like, now it's not it. Because otherwise, when you're writing uh, religious stuff, everything gets capitalized. I mean, it's just crazy. I think it helps crazy. sometimes, though. I wrote a sentence recently where they were talking, I think God was talking to Abraham, and so it was like, he said to him, mm-hmm. and I was like, if that he wasn't capitalized, I would have been so confused in the moment. <laughs> like, who, which he said to him. So this is this is what I am aiming at. I, I'm sure there's more to it because, I mean, I, you know, as described in the Bible, right, there's a lot of things that the Bible uses to describe God. I'm just trying to narrow it in. Is when I'm talking about God, I'm talking about God as I know him from the Bible, not from my own personal experience, not from touched by an angel TV show, but by what is being described in the Bible, which means I'm opening myself up to fair examination. If someone says, all right, so it says God, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So I have to be okay with that. You know, so I'm going to get the fun question of, you know, well, God told Israel to completely wipe out nations. You know, that's where I'm going to get it, and I'm going to have to answer it, because that's what the Bible says. Yeah. There's a long, long answer to that question uh, that is challenging to even... Right. So all of those things are things described in the Bible. Usually when you get that objection, they don't want an answer anyway. So you know, that just just throwing that out there is that they want to say, like, see, now God isn't perfect because we know that this is a bad thing. And then they feel like, yeah, I got you more. So I'm just throwing that out there. Again, this is not an apologetics class. I'm just saying, I'm, I'm claiming the God of the Bible, and the God of the Bible told Israel to wipe out a whole bunch of people. Okay? 
So, you know, I, that's that's the challenge that we have. You know, if you don't believe that God in the Bible ever said to do that, then, you know, you can avoid that. But uh, I would then refer you to a bunch of things in the Old Testament. So, this is what I'm talking about. Now, can I yes, you may. Sure. Well, and that's a, I try I try to start with persistently involved. Yeah. Uh, God is persistently involved, meaning He's always yeah, in. But I, the intervening part was just in the like sense of I still believe that God does special things. Oh yes, absolutely. And that's so true. I think yeah, I think you're right. If I could think of a different word to use yeah. in that, yeah. um, without using a Christianese word like. Uh, Miraculously, blah, blah, blah. yeah, like yeah. I would just, I would just, it would raise the question: of What's the difference between intervening and interceding? Probably one of those is closer to true. Intercede usually means like going on behalf of someone else. It's like a mediating type thing. Intervene means to inter. Well, I could say interjects. There we go. He interjects himself as he so chooses. And me, the the reason I wanted to put that in there was because I pray to God, and I expect Him to do things. And so, as He so chooses, He does. But that doesn't mean He always does. But He's doing something, whether He right. does what you intended Him to do or not, or what you thought you wanted Him to do. He's, he is He is in your situation doing something, but it may not be what you thought you wanted. Exactly. So, yeah. That's it. Anyway, I just wanted to clarify. No, that's good. Thank you. All right, so then I have written down uh, just two. Well, nope, three. Three words that we use in Christianese in relationship to God um, as part of his character. So before we jump into our next thing, just want to cover those quick. Okay. Uh, first one is sovereignty. Uh, I'm going to throw out there that... Um, Cindy, I'm just going to give this to you to manage. Throw it out there that we all have a different limits and ex- outer boundaries of what we mean by most words. As it relates to sovereignty, I happen to know, not just in this church, but in a lot of Christian churches, people use that word differently. You need to know what you're using it to mean, okay? I think bare minimum... You know, maybe we'll do the, like, pretend to close your eyes and raise your hand thing. Uh, <laughs> when when we say sovereign, we mean totally in charge, right? Okay, so it seems like we have pretty, pretty clear agreement there. Now there are people who take sovereignty to mean because he, because God is completely in charge, that everything that does happen originates with God, and there are uh, scriptural means to argue that. Um, that Yep. So, you know, we saw that in Job, right? Uh, However, a lot of people also have a problem with how far on the edge of the spectrum some of these people go to say, like, well, now we're discounting 
a huge chunk of verses that are directed towards us uh, that says anything is our responsibility because if God is totally in charge and in, in complete control of everything that ever happens, then the question is, so doesn't God then make me sin? Why do I have to get out of bed? <laughs> <laughs> so when we use these words, this is one of those words, especially inside Christian circles, that we just need to know our audience, to know where we're at. Because if you're in a group of people that think that word is the same thing as you, feel free to use it. Um, however, if we're in a mixed group or if you're in a group of people who don't believe the Bible, I would argue that unless they had prior exposure to some sort of Calvinistic thinking, they're not going to take the word sovereign to mean that. Okay. Um, well, and here's the thing too, and how you keep saying like, this isn't an apologetics class, right? I think that a bigger thing is like, well, we can try to understand another person's perspective of a word. I think that in a lot of scenarios, people are going to use the fact that a word has multiple definitions and they're going to grab at whatever straw they can. If they're truly trying to whatever, discredit what you are saying, right? From a school of debate, I'm going to grab at every straw that I can. And when I grab a straw and you're able to take care of that, we're going to step onto the next straw. And you just go and go and go and go and go until I can prove you wrong. Or I don't even have to prove you wrong. I just have to create a shadow of a doubt on what you're saying. So that's where, like, I think that a life that you keep saying is not apologetics class. And we have to think about it more like, are we communicating just what we are meaning to communicate? Because I went rounds and rounds with mom yesterday over the word good, and I'm not kidding you guys. It was ridiculous. Every time she pulled another definition of it. And and every time, those I mean, you, you cannot deny that that definition comes back to God every time. There are four different definitions in the English word for the word good. Every single one of them comes back to a higher deity that is creating moral standard for you. And she just she just refused to grasp that, refused to admit that that was the case. So I think that we need to keep that in mind when we're talking apologetics versus just trying to educate ourselves. So Daryl cleared his throat like he wants to say something, so he needs to stick microphone. Well, no. <clears throat> so uh, when you talk about uh, the uh, sovereignty of God versus the uh, free will of man, you're talking about two sides of the same coin. And there's truth in the middle of all of that. And if you go and lean towards one way or the other, you find yourself in a ditch. And so um, I was thinking of, uh, in Scripture here, Acts chapter 2, uh, Peter's preaching to uh, his audience, the Jews. He says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know him, and here's the point, being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands of crucified and put to death. You have both right there. Absolutely. God knew this was going to happen to his son. It was man's choice to do it, but somewhere in this, God's predetermined mm -hmm. that this was going to happen. Uh, untangle that thorny, mm -hmm. okay? But that's that's just one example. It's it's everywhere. But 
I mean, it's, it's just that kind of a balance. Absolutely. I like to be able to stand up. Explanation for that is the span of like God can see all things in all times and every moment because that allows them to be like, Great, because then God can say, Well, right now, this is what it looks like to you, but I can see all the way down here and every step along the way, mm-hmm. you know, and that would give all of us much better judgment in making our own decisions. <laughs> so, when I'm using this word, this is generically what I'm doing, okay, is that. God created the world, meaning he's not from my world, he's outside of it, and him creating it gives him the right to tell the people in it what to do. Okay, That's what I think of when I think of sovereignty, when I think of a sovereign, when I think of a king, like if you use those words, if that's less Christian easy for you, but God gets to tell us what to do because he made the world. Okay? And, and yeah, so he, he made the universe, and the universe is working. I mean, it, it's falling apart, which we're going to get to later today. Um, but he made it. So it seems rather stupid. And there's not any young kids in here, so I'll use the word. <laughs> seemed rather stupid for something inside of it to tell him what to do, right? So that's what I'm implying in those words. Early on in the whole giving the gospel thing, I'm not... I'm really trying to hopefully not talk about Calvinism or Arminianism when sharing the gospel, okay? I'm really trying not to because that is a worthwhile conversation in a proper context, and I don't feel like that's it unless they raise the objection, which means that they've been usually wrongly taken advantage of or you know given the wrong information prematurely. So like, I'm not trying to, you know, weave in and out like okay so like this that and the other thing obviously it gives me a picture of what i am expecting it gives me a picture of like what i'm hoping for but i'm not, i'm really trying to like steer away from that that's okay Go ahead. <laughs> i was just gonna make comment that the um Every every person that you're talking to who isn't somebody who's read the Bible is assume Armenian position because everybody thinks that they have total control over, over their life to make the decisions they need to make. And so you're never going to bring up the sovereignty of God over all things with somebody who just has never read the Bible. They don't know the God of the Bible. They don't know all the things that he's the creator or anything. So, I mean, everybody's an Arminian until they start reading the Bible and see who God is. I mean, that you just make that assumption that we're all, we all think that we make our own decisions regardless. So, At least here in America. Well, that's, that's where uh, you, you have the free will to reject the call of the gospel and that um, generally speaking, if you follow, you know, if we're going to be fair to that Calvinists think that everyone who's going to get saved is going to get saved anyway, that the Armenian position is that you can also lose your salvation. So it's like the opposite end of like. Yeah. But but true Calvinists, if you skip in over to hyper Calvinism, yeah. if you start saying, well, everybody will be saved anyway, and that is supposed to be 
and you are passive about it. Right. Because the right. way God plans to save people is through us. Mm-hmm. So in a Calvinist essence, would so, never so say so those things. <laughs> yeah. So in essence, you guys are saying, oh, sorry, I'm just trying to understand mm-hmm. what we're talking about here. <laughs> so in essence, you guys are saying, the people who say that I believe and I can still continue to do whatever I want to do, because it's not going to change anything, are the no. Arminians? No, or no. Are, no, that's. Arminians just like think that there is no problem. Yeah, would either no. be a fatalist or a or a or a really hyper Calvinist. No, or there's <laughs> a whole camp called free grace too. That yeah, that's that true. your you're justification right. is so complete that you add so nothing to your own salvation that there's nothing you can do to undo it. Therefore, I can sin and do whatever I want. So it's a distortion okay. also. That's not either right. Arminianism right. or Calvinism. It's a yeah, you're it's right. a to simplify it, it's more of like not not in how I live my life one way or the other, but in in the the difference of looking at to simplify it is how, how who who's doing the saving? Is it you choosing to be saved or is it God choosing you and and who like and it, but it but it's it's both and, and so uh-huh. there there's a decision that you yes make a decision you believe but it's God opening the eyes of your heart to believe at the same time and so it's just it's that nuance of difference as yeah. to who's doing what in that exact moment is the only difference of the Calvinism <laughs> well and that's what I'm trying to tell you. So, like, the the reason it matters is because in argumentation in parts of the scripture, in order to try and follow what they're saying, you got to figure out what they are are and and are not saying. Right. However, in the discussion with your unsaved coworker, yeah, not helpful. Yeah, not helpful. it doesn't matter at all. Is what I was trying to yeah. say. Yeah, like, everybody, everybody's not. So I'm trying to avoid everything that we just talked about <laughs> yeah. right. with an unsaved person because it it doesn't help. It doesn't give clarity. My, the Bible, if you guys can find it, you, you show it to me. But the Bible presents always giving the gospel from a more on the end of Arminian lens. You always present the gospel that way and say, believe and be saved. Yeah. And then, I don't know that Arminian is no. I know what you're saying. I, I understand exactly what you're saying. But, but then, you know, so like, obviously more along... When we when we try to solve the mystery of salvation, one, it's God's job. Okay, that's how I always say it. God, it's God's job to save people, and how that functions is not something that we will fully understand. And beyond that, why would we be telling God how to do it? Um, because we're sinners, so that's a, it's a bad idea all around. But when we start trying to solve the mystery of how that all functionally works for God, I think it's cool because you get to gaze into the into who God is and into like all of these things. I think it's a worthwhile thing. But when we come out of looking at the mystery and saying, I know how this works, we've done it wrong. You should come out and say, I feel like I know God better. But you shouldn't come out saying, I know how God functionally saves people that are his enemies. Like, you should not come away with saying, like, oh, well, of course, this thing has to happen first, which then this, that, and the other thing. Because we're then applying fallen logic to a mystery of God's domain. So, And I think, I think along that – well, I can speak loud enough. Um, <laughs> along that same line, the uh, knowing God better is precluding and including 
the Savior, Jesus Christ, yeah. because yeah. he's the one that did the work. God mm-hmm. directed it. Holy Spirit worked in the lives so the Godhead is there, but it's all working in through the salvation and the salvific action that Christ did on the cross. Yep. And if we come out with that answer, then we win. Yep. Because it's all about what Christ did on the cross. Yep. All right, so we're going to move on. I know that this is always a, a long conversation that we can always keep having. And, you know, Michael and I have always uh, said, like, this is one of those things that, although I think we're, 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 uh, we're, we're fudging closer and closer. We used to be way further apart than we are now, which is fun. Um, for me, it all boils down to what you think about election, which is not something we're going to talk about because you should not be talking about that when you're trying to present the gospel because ain't nobody in the Bible talking to unbelievers using that. Okay. Only ever is referring to the believers, which colors my opinion of what that is. But anyhow, um, so what, you know, I want to present God as totally in charge. Like he's on it. He's on his throne. He's the ultimate end of all authority. And the reason I want to do that is because there's going to be some really awkward things that are going to take place, which, you know, hopefully we get to today. Uh, we're going to talk about sin. And if God isn't there, sin doesn't make any sense. It doesn't matter. Okay? You know, it's just, oh, you know, you make me mad kind of thing. But if God is where he should be, which is above all, and complete authority because he created the, the world, universe, whatever, you know, the whole encompassing thing you want to talk about, you know, Christianese would just say a creation. But... Um, if God is there, then we can do something else. The other thing I want to mention, which is also important uh, as it relates to the gospel, which will come up at some point, is grace and mercy. Okay. Anyone want to venture a simplified understanding of what grace and mercy is? Because they're very similar, not quite exactly the same, so you probably shouldn't use them as synonyms, but they're both true of God. So, I mean, there's that. Anybody want to? Otherwise, I, I will just help us. But The way you'll often hear it, and this is too simplified, but you'll hear grace being spoken of as God giving you what you don't deserve and mercy as God not giving you what you deserve. Those are... It's, a, it's, a, it's kind of a helpful way to discern, but like if you look through the whole Bible, mercy is so much broader than that. It's it's the outflowing of compassion for people. It's the working out of your salvation towards somebody else to meet them in their time of need. And it's not about whether they deserve it or not. And it's so it's you don't want to people really hammer that first thing I said where grace is God gives you what you don't deserve. Mercy is you God doesn't give you what you do deserve. That's too simplified, but it's an introduction. It is an okay way to. Start talking about Start it. Yeah. Conversation. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, so that that is that is the distinction, but the distinction actually, as presented in scripture, is far more fuzzy than that. <laughs> you know, if that's to be fair. Um, so, like we're talking about mercy is that um, we're going to get into it because we're going to talk about sin next. We sin, and the right judgment is you die. God is filled with mercy and doesn't do that instantaneously every time someone sins. Okay? And so mercy is God's God's response to our wrongdoing. Okay? But 
unlike mercy, it, grace is not a response to our right doing. It has nothing to do with our doing. God is a gracious person. He's kind. And so he'll give things to people that have done absolutely nothing to get it. And us capitalists hate that. <laughs> We're like, hey, uh-uh, no. No, I'm good. That person. <laughs> but when we look at the cosmic realm of how, what we're doing in God's creation, like, yes. We always the, know that there's a line to draw. Like, we always get to a point where we're like, it's enough grace. I'm giving you enough. <laughs> and God never gets to enough. He never gets to the point where he's like, that's enough. Never going to help you again. Yep. We always get to the point where we're like, I can't do it anymore. So I can't help you anymore. We always find a line. So God is gracious enough that even though we continue to mess up, and he, and he shows us mercy by not, you know, executing final judgment on us but then he he doesn't allow that to uh abandon us or to uh withhold care from us all the things that we would see as parents being abusive he's got enough grace that says like you are making this relationship very difficult and yet i'm not going to withhold myself from you And that's really good. It's very important. Because what God does in the good news is wild if we don't comprehend that. If we just get this idea that God's in charge, he's ticked off because we we don't do what he says, and so he wants to kill us all, and then Jesus suddenly shows up and we're like, hey, let me help you. Like that's not how God revealed the plan of salvation in the Bible. God is filled with grace and mercy for all creation. That doesn't mean it's, uh, oh, I just lost the word. But total and complete is not final. Doesn't mean that God's just going to be gracious and merciful to everyone, even after they die, for all of eternity. But while we're alive in his world, those things remain true. He is filled with mercy. He's filled with grace, which is just another way of saying, how would we describe someone in a relationship with us who treats us that way? Love, right? That is what we would say, that person loves me because when I screw up, they don't write me off. And although I do it all the time, they don't withhold themselves from me. They're still there. They still offer their love and care for me. That person is embodying true love. So let's jump into our next Christianese word. Okay. Uh, in my thing, my little one sentence thing, it says, uh, when someone would say, what are you talking about when you're talking about the gospel? I'd say, Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave in order to provide forgiveness for the sins of those who believe in God's plan of salvation. We've covered God, so now we're going to talk about sin. Okay? Because without bad news, there's no good news. The good news doesn't make sense if you don't understand that there's bad news. Okay? So we got to start there. Um, I know I didn't in my thing. Okay? I started with, you know, the thing I want to get to and then talk about why it's necessary. Uh, but 
Romans starts that way when Romans 1. The, the, Romans is all about like what the gospel is and how it's all wonderful and how it works. Romans 1 says, like, if you don't understand that God's wrath is coming on you, the, the rest of this book is not going to matter. Okay? <laughs> so sin. What do we mean by sin? I'll start giving you some l- less biblical answers. Um, it's a, I would say it's blatant disobedience. Okay. Okay, blatant disobedience is definitely part of it. There's, uh, these are some from Webster, serious offense, a shortcoming, immoral action, violation of the law, a crime, and breaking of the rules. Okay? Um, sin is, there are social sins, right? Like driving a car that only gets four miles to a gallon, that's a social, social sin. <laughs> There are other social sins, but realistically, sin is, again, one of those Christianese religious type situations. Other religions use the word sin, but uh, so it's not just Christianity. But although it's not a common use word, people have a general idea what, what you mean by that. And when you, if they're like, oh, so you think I'm a sinner, right? Um, as a as a person who sins, um, yeah, uh, you you probably have done a sin, so that would lump you into that camp. Is that although they have a general sense of the word sin, we don't always agree on what is or isn't sin, right? So, uh, you got a question? <laughs> Um, I think that an interesting piece too is like, we're here learning about what we think of these words, but like being from the other camp, right? Mm -hmm. Been there. Uh, sin is just you telling me that I'm a horrible person (laughs) and that I need to go beg for forgiveness somewhere else because I'm not good enough. Mm -hmm. That is what the world looks at sin as. When you use that word specifically, they don't think about it as like, oh, there was one thing I did wrong or there were five things I did wrong. That word is not just like a, you did a bad job. That's like a, you are a bad person. Mm-hmm. And that's what they hear, which is kind of what we mean, but it's also not, <laughs> that's a struggle. Yes. It's actually true. <laughs> <laughs> and right. if you look at the apostles preaching, they're pretty clear about that. So you have, but you have to figure out how do you, how do you present that in the way that's going to get that message across and not just the, well, you're a horrible, bad person. Right. I think the only one, by the way. I'm pretty good. And then I think that there's a big piece of that, right? Because you say, I think that that's a word that we should be cautious about and using in general. Because it's like, as soon as somebody hears, well, you're a bad person and there's nothing. And, and my entire now my entire argument is to teach you that you're just a bad person. And now they're like, okay, we're done here because I don't need that kind of negativity in my life. I don't need somebody to bash on me with a hammer, but you know, when see, other people where, are, or I already am, you know. that's where you can come back with the, the gospel or with the Bible saying, but don't get me wrong, you're just not the only one that sins. Mm. For all of sin yeah. falls short of glory of death. And we're going to get here. Bible to yeah. justify <laughs> Everybody's in that camp. And at some point, at some point, people do have to realize. I mean, not just them alone, but it really is horrible. Mm-hmm. Just, so yeah. you have to do that without just you know you're a horrible sinner. You you know like mm-hmm. it's all it's all you. But somehow it still does have to be brought across that this is a horrible thing that can only it was only only 
So I think that first of all, we would be better off instead of jumping jumping the gun as Christians being like, right. "Well, you're the unbeliever whose sin hasn't been forgiven yet, so I'm gonna start there." Right. There's a little thing called testimony yes. um, that you'd be better off when you present the gospel because the gospel has taken effect in your life that you should focus on you. And then you have to, you still have to pose the question, like, well, have you ever done anything that you think God would be upset about? And, you know, and how are you making that up to him? You know, and you think that's going to work? How do you, how do you have any idea that that's going to work? Like who told you that if you just did enough good stuff that, you know, it would counterbalance, where'd you, where, where'd you come up with that? Right. So it's like, uh, you know, so I think we got to get there. Uh, but we we don't want to pretend like we don't want to talk about sin because the gospel is about forgiveness of sins. We have to get there. Can you pass Kurt the mic? I've heard it said that you can say just about anything you want to say to anybody as long as you say it in love. And that's, I think, where we struggle, especially when we don't have a relationship with somebody. It's communicating that. But we have to make them understand that we're not setting ourselves above them uh-huh. and that we actually truly care for them, which is why we're saying what we say. And it was really fun because one time I was working in a factory and my friend on the line said oh i bet you think i'm a big sinner because i do this that and the other thing and i said well before you even told me i knew that that was the case and they looked me like what i was like yeah because i'm a sinner that guy's a sinner i was like the bible if you actually read it says all of us on this entire factory line are sinners that need jesus so like i knew that before you told me you did anything bad and they're like oh i was like so, like, I do things that Jesus doesn't want me to do all the time. And you just said, you know what's worse? And she's like, what? I was like, you're not, you don't think you're a Christian, right? She's like, no. I was like, well, the problem is I I have told, told tell people that I believe in Jesus and Jesus should be in charge of my life. And I still do things that he tells me not to do, right? So I'm living inconsistent with what my belief system says. You're just going off doing your own thing. Like, you're not saying that you're living the way God wants you to. You're, you're living how you want to, and, and that's what you want to do. But I'm telling people, I, I want to live the way God wants me to, and then, you know, keep messing it up. You know, like, it's just, it's a fatal flaw with people. Jeff, I didn't know if you just grabbed that. I was going to keep going on this. And yeah. The, the definitions, can you back up? Yeah, all of that stuff is like a doctor only looking at the symptoms and not trying to solve the problem. Mm-hmm. And that's how our culture looks at sin, too, is I did this thing, or you say, I do this thing. That's, I don't want to say it's irrelevant, that disobedience to God's commands are irrelevant. But as far as understanding the problem, that does little mm-hmm. if we stop there. I mean, you brought up Romans 1. I have a different passage, but the, the one from Romans, I'll just... Which we're read. still trying to get to. Well, I'll, I'll just get there a little bit. Three and six. Well, I was going to go to one. First. Okay, good. There you go. To, to describe the real problem here is, uh, it says, you know, his in attributes are um, clearly understood. All that stuff. It says, for although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God, nor give thanks to Him, became futile in their thinking, and that, 
claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds. So, and then it says, you know, God continually is giving them over to do more and more. And it says they worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. So at the beginning of sin is a distortion of who God is going back to the God thing. And what, what this reveals is the problem is at the heart level and that we prefer something else. And we prefer it so ravagingly that we suppress what we know. And that's the real problem is we aggressively suppress the true things that we know about God in order to do what I prefer. Dang it. And don't. I've already found comfort in it. Whatever. But the whole point is it's, it's at the, it's at the heart level where sin is. It's not the fact if you only look at sin as breaking commandments, you are missing the boat. And I think the most beautiful passage in the Bible, and I mean, I'm using beauty to describe our sin problem, but like, the best way to understand this is like what he says in, in Jeremiah. I think and there's probably other good ones, but like this one is my favorite. It says, for my people, God says, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and have hewn out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that hold no water. We have exchanged, as Romans says, the glory of the immortal God for broken down cisterns, cesspools of bacteria and slime and filth. And we have rejected the fountain of living water. That's the problem with sin is we have seen God in what is true and what is pure, his holiness, whatever it is. And we have said, no, I don't want that. I don't want you. It says they have rejected me. He didn't say they broke my commandments. He said they have forsaken me. It's much more personal than, than just some bad habits. It is a denial of who God is, of the extension of his love, the common grace that is seen. There's another Christian use word. The common grace that is seen everywhere in our world. And it's preferring other things to him. That list, that list is only the uh, result of yes. sin. Yes. It's the outpouring well, response. I, I, yeah, I'm not trying to cut a line through there. It's all a part of the package of sin, but like that's the like you said, that's the outflow of the root yeah. problem. It's the resultant, not and, the and the here's the our problem. We use a three letter word to say all that. Right. 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 If it had at least four, <laughs> maybe two syllables, we would be set. But it's just a shortcoming of the three. Alright. So assumption in every single one of those things that somebody else has made the rules. Thank you, because that's my next slide I need to get to. Oh, so. oh, no. <laughs> We're going to buckle up. Alright, so in the Bible, you'll hear different words to describe what we refer to as sin. And the Bible, again, just like grace and mercy, don't use these exclusively to themselves. Sin means to miss the mark, not reaching the standard. There we are. There's a standard. You didn't quite make it, right? It happens at work all the time, okay? You're supposed to set this room up. You didn't. You missed the table. You didn't hit it. Okay, but there was there was a standard. Okay, trespass uh, means to cross a line. Hence why we trespass people if they cross onto our property and we don't want them there. We trespass them knowingly or unknowingly. It doesn't really matter. You just did. You cross a line. It happened. Okay. 
There's transgress, which means to break a known rule deliberately. You know, so when you go and you decide, I'm going to go 80 on this road, even though speed limit says 60 or 75, you know, or whatever it is, you know, you transgress. You know the rule and you purposefully do it. So when you're speeding on accident, it is not a trespass. It's just a, not, not a transgression. It's a sin. Okay. There's iniquity. And this one gets more to what Matt's saying is that. You purposefully plan to choose contrary to the standard. It's premeditated murder. It's not just that you know you shouldn't kill someone, but you killed them anyway. It's that you made the plan to kill them, and then you you knew that that was wrong, and you did it anyway. And this all we, as 21st century Christians, just, you know, sin. Now, am I saying you should go start using all these other words? Because that will be really helpful? No. I think sin is probably the easiest word for us to, to deal with. And we need to deal with the fact that like, we use sin to mean all those things. Okay, It, it, it means more than just, like Matt said, you did, a, you did a wrong thing. However, that is at the heart of it. You did a wrong thing. But, like Jess is saying, it presupposes all of these presuppose that there is some sort of rule. <clears throat> that we are breaking, whether we know it or not. Um, we do it purposefully or not, none of that really, really ultimately matters. The rule was not met. But where does that rule come from? Well, that rule came from God, which is why we started with God last week. Because if we talk, start talking about sin before we talk about God, sin doesn't make any sense. Because now it just sounds like, well, what do you, like who says? You know, because we live in such a post postmodern culture that like even the reference of telling people wrong is a thing is a hard enough problem to overcome. Okay, but now we have we but we have to start with there's a God who's in charge of this life we live. Okay, and and he's not bad. He's not a bad guy. I mean, like the fact that we we're all still alive demonstrates that he's pretty good. Okay. We don't have to get into all, all the holiness and stuff. You, know, you can get that into that conversation now while we're talking about sin. It's like we don't do what God tells us to do. And sometimes we deliberately don't do what God tells us to do. Sometimes we do it by accident. And sometimes we make a plan to do the opposite of what God told us to do. And we know it, know it to be wrong. Morally wrong. Okay. And here's where I would start showing people what I'm talking about when I'm talking about sin. Okay. Romans 3, 1 through 23. Okay, you can turn there quickly. Um, I do have it, at least the some of it. Um, I, I took a couple verses in and out of there just because there's a, a bigger context thing. I want to just show us in this chapter what uh, Paul is talking about. I highlighted in various colors to talk about God's righteousness and our unrighteousness uh, and what is evil and what is good. So, uh, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and triumph when you judge. But if our unrighteousness, so our sin, highlights God's righteousness, his holiness, what are we to say? I'm using a human argument. Is God unrighteous to inflict wrath, judgment, on sin? Absolutely not. Otherwise, how would God judge the world? Which we all want him to do. Right? There's so much in our life that doesn't go well. We want someone to take care of it. Well, God's the only one in a position who can take care of it, and so we want him to do it. But how can he do it if he doesn't inflict wrath on wrong? Okay? But if by my lie God's truth bounds to his glory, why am I still being judged as a sinner? 
And why not say, just as some people slanderously claim we say, let us do what is evil so that good may come. Their condemnation is deserved. What then? Are we any better off? Sound like any question we might have asked today? Not at all, for we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All alike have become worthless. There is no one who does what is good, not even one. And then, you know, this is where, like, Ray Comfort would ask, like, you know, just the Ten Commandments question. But, like, if you're having a conversation, be like, look, I do these things. I might not have killed anybody, okay? But I certainly have lost my temper. I certainly have done other things. I've certainly lied, you know? And you can go on and tell people, these are the things I do, which is why I know I'm not good. Like, by myself, I am no good. I can't do what is right all the time according to God's rules and his standards. I cannot do it. And everyone I have ever met is incapable of doing it, right? There is no fear of God before their eyes. They don't care about God's rules. Now we know that whatever the law says, meaning God has told us what he wants us to be doing or doesn't do, it speaks to those who are subject to the law, so that every mouth may be shut and the whole world may become subject to God's judgment. This is going to lead us into our next thing, which we might have to say until next week. For no one will be justified in his sight by the works of the law, because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and prophets. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe since there's no distinction. Okay? Here, Paul's talking about Jews and Gentiles, trying to figure out, like, well, what was the whole point of us being Jews in the first place? You know, if it doesn't get us a leg up in the race. And Paul's like, well, you kind of had an advantage there for, you know, a couple thousand years. So it's not like you didn't have an advantage. But now, it doesn't matter because all are sinners. And because of what Jesus has done, all can be, can be saved. Because no one is righteous, not even one person doesn't matter if you're a Jew or Gentile. And, and the question is, like, well, are we any better off? Not really, because you knew for a long time what God expected you to do. And you were under the law, and you knew sin earlier than a bunch of other people. But now it doesn't really matter, because we all know that we don't keep God's rules. We just don't. And so if God is going to judge the world like we want him to, and inflict wrath on all that is wrong in the world, how are we going to be rescued from it? Because it isn't going to be by being, you know, lackadaisical and like, oh, you know, God's judgment is a good thing, so I'll just add to the cosmic sin bank and then God's glory will be revealed. That doesn't work. Also, it doesn't work by saying like, well, I'm a pretty good person. Because it says like, no, you're not good enough to be qualified as good. No one is. So the only way that we get that the righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Okay? Everyone who believes. Because there's no distinction between Jews and Gentiles. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, what country you're from. None of it matters. Except that you believe. And then why? For all have sinned and fallen short of God, the glory of God. We all didn't hit the mark that God has of his perfection. So, 
next week we'll start with the problem that comes from sin. Because even if you get someone to agree, like, yeah, okay, I don't always do what God says. I, I, and Romans actually has a really good part. I forget. I think it's in Romans too. Where it says you don't even keep your own rules. Like, you know that it's wrong to go sleep with someone else's wife. Yet you did it anyway. You set rules that you don't keep. Like, if someone came in here and killed someone, I would kill them because that's so wrong. But then you you just go do whatever you want. Like, aside from God's revealed law to the Israelites that was in the world and people knew of, whether they knew the content of it or not, internally our own natural law that tells us you shouldn't be doing that, we don't listen to it. We condemn ourselves. Now, there's a you know, translation issue that really grinds my gears. <laughs> but it says that on that day, our conscience will either condemn, excuse us or accuse us, more or less, right? I forget the exact wording there. Um, but it, it, it's saying, like, your conscience on that day will still point a finger at you. Like, you know you're doing wrong things. Like, even apart from God's rules, you know, like, I shouldn't do this, and yet I do it. And your own con conscience condemns you so that you know there's something wrong in there. Even if we get people to the point where they're like, okay, yeah, I'm not a perfect person. I, don't, I try, but I don't always succeed. Why does it matter? Because that's their, you know, like we go, go around calling everybody sinners. They think we're telling them that they're the worst people on the face of the planet, which, you know, everybody's the worst person on the face of the planet. So then, like, why does it matter? Well, why it matters is because what we just saw in Romans 3. There's judgment coming on it. And what God says is that sin brings death. So next week, we're going to talk about death, <laughs> which you'd be like, that's not a Christianese word. But we use it as a Christianese word. So that's where we're going next week. Um, if you want to, you can look at Genesis chapter 3 and Romans chapter 6. We'll be covering those next week. You're dismissed. Thank you.